Aloha. Aloha. Well, that was close. How many have been to Hawaii? Okay, a few. Going to have to help me out. So, when someone says aloha, the proper response is aloha. Got that? So let's try it again. Aloha. Aloha. Very good. Good morning. Before I get into the word, just have to say a, a, a few words about Fellowship Church. I was, I think I said something to Connie this morning. And anyway, uh, or maybe I said, I can't remember what I say when I say it. Anyway, we uh, became acquainted with and a part of fellowship in February of 1992. And I remember the day that we came, we had rented a house up on Firehouse Road. And that day, there were several men from this church that came and helped us unload the truck. And they really didn't even know us. Some of them are with the Lord now. And I think of Lynn Jefferson and up in years now. And just there's a lot of really good, really good memories of, of this church. Uh, our kids grew up here. And... It is a, and a lot of, some of you that I look and see your faces, you had a, a significant role in who our kids are in Christ today. And we are very, very grateful for the role that Fellowship Church played in our family. And, you know, we're here today because, largely because of, um, you know, what, what the Lord allow, allowed us to go through during our and when I say go through, I don't mean that in a bad way at all, that just our ministry years with Word of Life here in Illinois, and then as God moved in our hearts to, to go to Hawaii to plant a church, never thought that that would happen, never dreamed that that would happen, didn't plan for that to happen, uh, wasn't looking for that to happen, I was really content and happy doing what I was doing, but that's the way God is, right? He has a, um, a habit uh, of taking people out of their comfort zone and launching you into something that's uncomfortable, which going 4,000 miles away to do something we had never done before was pretty uncomfortable in, the, in those beginning days. And the Lord has really just shown his hand time and time again as ministry continues uh, there on the big island of Hawaii. I did a little update downstairs, so I don't want to I don't want to keep you here all day, so we'll, uh, before, I, before I get emotional, I, don't, I want to get on to what I, what I need to say. But Just to say thank you. Um, fellowship has stood with us in, in, uh, you know, in, as missionaries since 1992 and continuing on to this day. And again, we are very thankful, very grateful for your folks' partnership in what's going on in Hawaii. We're very, very grateful to you. Thank you. Let me read a passage of scripture if you have your Bible this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, we began this series uh, in our church. Took me, let's see, I think we're through verse 13. Took five weeks to do that. But verses 3 through 5 really, really grabbed my attention. We live in a, in a world that 
particularly in our country, that has kicked God to the curb almost, almost wholesale now. And to me, it's so important for us to remember what the message is. And Peter does a great job in that. So 1 Peter 1, and I'll just start reading it at verse 1, but uh, we'll do, the text will take us through verse 5. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as exiles scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I beseech you this morning that you would, that you would meet, meet with each of our hearts, beginning with me. And Lord, as I pray pretty much every Sunday, Lord, that you would just guide my words. Lord, that if there's something that I'm planning to say that I should not say, that you would cause me to forget it. And then on the other hand, Lord, if there's something I should say, that you would bring it to my mind, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would have full control over what comes out of my mouth. And at the same time, Lord, I pray for all of our dear friends, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to all of our hearts. And Lord, that you would cause the Word of God to make whatever changes, whatever changes in, in, in thought or action or whatever they might be, Lord, that we would be willing to surrender to those convictions of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing upon this preaching time, for it's in Jesus' name, amen. So it's a, it is a real privilege to open God's word here at Fellowship Church. Again, I, I remember when, when Pastor Cliff came. I think it's going on 28 years, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember when he, when he came and he was candidating here, and the first time he opened the Word of God, I knew. <laughs> I, knew I knew he was the right guy. Because he has an uncanny gift of, uh, and he would call himself a teacher rather than a preacher. And I mean, I, I've always said, when I grow up, I'm gonna, I want to be able to teach like Cliff because um, he does a great job, and I will, I will try to uh, do justice to the scripture this morning. But it is an honor and a privilege to stand up here and open God's word to you folks. A lot going on in our day, is it not? I mean, there's a lot going on. And most of it not good, is it, it, at least as you read the, read the news or watch the news or whatever your, your source of media is, there is so much that is going on in our world that is not pleasing to God. In fact, is pretty much as anti-God as you could possibly be. 
it's hard not to get caught up in it all. However, we are called not to get caught up in it all. We are called to keep the main thing the main thing. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, lo- I love the songs that we, <laughs> we sung today. Uh, In Christ Alone is one of my favorite songs because the, the, the gospel story is all inclusive in that, in that song. And Purify My Heart, we, we sing that in our church fairly often. And that's, that's a song to, to sanctification and, and the, the role that we play in our sanctification. You know, we choose to be holy. Well, we think there's a lot going on in our day. There was a lot going on in Peter's day. Peter is writing to Gentile believers that were living in Rome, and the persecution in Rome was so great that these believers in Rome fled to these five cities because things were hard. They were rounding up Christians and feeding them to the lions. So far, we haven't had to endure that. Not yet. Not yet. I'm pretty confident that it's down the road at some point. A lot going on in Peter's day. Yet, salvation is still great. And the story of salvation, the gospel, is still the priority. The writer of Hebrews calls our salvation great. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? And if we do ignore it, there is no escape from God's wrath. That's why he came. Right? He didn't come, you know, to, to bless us here in this life. He came to provide a way so that we could get to the next life. Peter and the other New Testament writers are careful to remind us just how great our salvation is. And I submit to you this morning that our salvation is great because our sin is great. And it doesn't matter. We have, there's a lot, in fact, this, this is really cool. I look out into the audience, and there's a lot, of, a lot of faces I recognize, but a lot of faces I don't recognize. And that's a, a, that's a great testimony. That's a testimony to, to the grace of God, the power of God. So by saying that, it means I, I don't know a lot of you. But here's what I do know about you, because I know it about myself, because we're all sinners, Right, and we can, we can open our little suitcase of baggage, right, and we can look in there, and there's all kinds of stuff in there. Some of it's different for me than it is to you, but it's all there, right? And get this, if there was just one sin in there, which that's impossible, but if there was just one sin in there, that sin would be great enough to require a great salvation. Every aspect of our great salvation is miraculous and extraordinary. We talked a little bit about that downstairs this morning as we were talking about the Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch and that, that whole story. It, the whole thing is just marvelous, right? It's extraordinary and miraculous what happened. God is sovereign, and God in his sovereignty finds those that are his. You see, an Ethiopian eunuch, I wouldn't even plan to say this, we find an Ethiopian eunuch that was reading the scripture, which is alive, right? 
And lo and behold, an evangelist catches up to his chariot and the guy comes to faith in Christ. We talked in Sunday. We don't know what happened. The guy continued on down to Ethiopia, where he is from, and we really don't know what happened from that point on. I'm guessing he was like each of you, right? You remember that when you came to faith in Christ? How exciting you were, how excited we were? And, and if we're all honest, we'd say, I, I told a lot more people about Jesus then than I do now. That's I, I, kind of shameful for me to even say that, but it's true. Our great salvation is inconceivable, really. I mean, that's what the critics say. I mean, do you really believe this stuff? That people are sinners and Jesus died and what? I mean, it's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary uh, story, inconceivable story. You know, the world considers in the beginning God an unscientific fairy tale. The world views the cross as an unintelligent crutch. We know different. Because if we're in Christ, we know the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I, can't, I cannot definitively explain it to you. I just know it to be fact. That I'm a child of God because the Spirit of God says I am. In human terms, this is all impossible. But we know that all things are possible with God. So in a world that is messed up, right, you, you, you listen to or read or whatever to what the world is saying out there, there's one thing that jumps out at me. There's no hope, right? They don't have any hope. They're reaching for all these solutions and all these things that just go in a circle. There's no hope. But we have a living hope. Right? There is a living hope in Christ. And that's where our focus needs to be because that's what the world needs to hear. That's what's going to change our world. Now, I, I, I totally get and I totally understand that Scripture promises that the world is not going to get better before Christ comes back. It is going to go into a, a free fall, into debauchery and anarchy I mean, it's, it's obvious it's already headed in that direction. And I don't, I don't see, I mean, I would like, well, please understand me. I would love it if there would be uh, another great revival, right? That the gospel would go out and people would hear it and respond in faith and that there would be this, another great awakening and, and there would be scores and scores of people that would come to faith. I would love for that to happen. I'm not sure it's going to. But that does not negate our responsibility to go and tell the good news of Jesus Christ because that is the main thing. That's why we're here. So as we consider our living hope, let's again be reminded, and I said reminded because I did this in my church and, and, I, and I hammer this all the time in a nice way, nice soft hammer is that there's three elements of salvation, or excuse me, three elements of eternal life, salvation, sanctification, and glorification, which I'm sure you've heard from this pulpit many times. But as it relates to this text, 
I'd like to just cover those things because it is such a, a refreshing thing to be reminded of our living hope and how it changes lives and how it is our responsibility to communicate that living hope. So number one, we see salvation. In verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And let us be clear that salvation is totally a work of God. Totally. We play no part, ladies and gentlemen. I know we like to think we do, but we do not. Salvation is totally a work of God. There is nothing that you and I can do to earn, deserve, or be credited salvation. Salvation is totally and fully by the grace and mercy of God. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Because if it, what, what if your salvation depended on what you do? I don't know about you, but if my salvation depended on me, I'd be scared out of my mind. Because I know I would find some way to screw it up. But it doesn't depend on me. It depends on God. Now, as Peter's talking, he says, blessed, blessed. We... We are so incredibly blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I, I was talking to Terry, wherever Terry's at, I can't see him, um, this morning, is that as I was preparing for this, I found it very interesting how few times God is referred to as Father in the Old Testament. In fact, the word father is used 1,121 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot. But most of those are so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. And so -and -so. That adds up really quick. But the word father is only used eight times in the Old Testament referring to God as our father. Most of those are in the Psalms. that concept changed with the arrival of Jesus. Because Jesus continually referred to God as his father. My father, my father, my father, my father, until the cross. As he was hanging on the cross, he didn't say, my father, my father, why have you forgiven me? He said, what? My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Now notice, if you will please, a little word. You know, little words in the Bible can carry a lot of significance. If, you're by, if you look down, notice the little word, our. Peter writes, it blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That little word is powerful and very, very significant because God is only our Father if Jesus is our Savior. The word 
indicates a personal and intimate relationship with God the Father of the whole universe. Think about that. That as Peter is writing, he's talking about God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is an intimate relationship that those in Christ have with the Godhead, the Trinity, the creator and master of all things. And you and I, when we come to that saving faith, we have a relationship with that God, our Father. He goes on and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And as I said a moment ago, his mercy is great because our sin is great. I'm not sure what's greater in all the world, in all the universe, than God's mercy. I guess you can say that about all of his attributes. But mercy applies to me. God in his mercy reached down and saved my wicked sinful soul. And that's a game changer, right? Guys, y'all would testify right alongside of me, right? When that event happened, that defining moment, when I surrendered my heart to Jesus Christ, that changed everything. I, I became a different person. You know, we know the verse. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. That's, that's a, that verse shouts out to what happens in the salvation experience. And again, I can't explain exactly what happened, but I know definitively, I know absolutely for sure that when I surrendered to Christ, he did a miracle in my life. His great mercy took a wicked sinner and turned him into something else. And to that we say, amen, for God's great mercy. It says that because of his great mercy, he caused us, we could preach on just that little phrase, he caused us to be born again, born again to a living hope, born again into God's family, now, what happens when a baby is born into a family? Well, there's a few things that happen. Usually the first thing that happens is we give the little, the little baby, we give it a name, right? Usually. It's helpful. I mean, I guess you could call it boy, but we give it a name. And then that name is inscribed upon a certificate of birth. That certificate of birth becomes a part of a family lineage. Right? You've seen them, right? Maybe you've done the family tree and you've you know, done the whole work to figure out who your ancestors were. 
that child is forever connected to its parents. I realize things can happen. Families blow up. Unfortunately, it is a fact of what's happening in our world. I get that. But no matter what happens, that child is a part of that family forever. Nothing can change that. Same with our being born again into God's family. It was already mentioned this morning. There's nothing that can change that. Nothing. And to go back to the human example, my son, I got three of them, but I'll just pick on one. My son, the oldest one, the oldest one gets picked on. My son, Ian, who is preaching for me here in a few hours at Fellowship, or Fellowship, oh, we'll call it Fellowship. He's my son. And nothing can change that. Nothing. What he does, what I do, nothing. nothing. He's always going to be my son. And let me tell you, folks, I want to encourage you. This is the living hope. Is that when we come to faith in Christ, we are in Christ forever. Through all of eternity. I don't even know what eternity looks like. I mean, I think I kind of know. I'm going to talk about it here in a moment. But for, for, for all eternity, I started to say till the end, of, there is no time, right? We are born again into God's family. And it says born again to a living hope. Living hope is eternal life, ladies and gentlemen. We are born again to eternal life, a living hope. Is it, I mean, isn't that an amazing, wonderful thing? Don't you think the world out there needs to hear that? And I was talking, I can't remember who I talked to this morning, so many people. But you know, I, I, I think that our world is ripe. I think the field is widened to harvest. People over the last couple of years in particular, there's questions. There's questions about what's going on. Is, is this the end of the world or, you know, is, is my loved one going to die of some disease? I mean, there's just all sorts of questions and I think the, the world is ripened to harvest. But they got to hear. Because hope is, a, is such an amazing thing. I have a, an old, uh, I call it the NIV 84, because I like the NIV 84. And I, I got a hold of a Schofield NIV 84 in 1985, and I wore the thing out. I actually had it a couple years ago recovered. So my old Bible is old on the inside, but it's new on the outside. And all the pages stick. But in Romans 8, I wrote at the top of my Bible that hope in the Bible is absolute certainty. It's, abs- it's not like I hope, I hope the Cardinals win today and the Cubs lose. Because I was waiting for There's got to be some reaction in this room. I used to live in central Illinois. I know the divide. No, it's not like that. Hope in the Bible is absolute certainty. And that absolute certainty comes from God. Psalm 43, 5 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. 
hope, absolute certainty, the absolute certain hope is a gift of grace. In 2 Thessalonians 2, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Not only is absolute certainty a gift of grace, it's defined by scripture. In Romans 15, four, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Absolute certainty is a reasonable reality. Later on in 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 15, Peter writes, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And I like this next part because sometimes we forget this next part. But do this with gentleness and respect. What's Peter saying? We need to be ready at, at, at the drop of a hat to give the reason for that hope in Christ that we have to anybody who, might, who God might bring across our path. To remember, remember the sovereignty of God. God is drawing people to himself. And when people come across our path, that's on purpose, folks. That's not by accident. And we don't want to miss the opportunity as Paul talks about, that he would make, take advantage of every opportunity to give the reason for the hope that is within us. Because that hope is a reasonable reality. Absolute certainty is secured by the resurrection. In John 11, it says, Jesus said to her, and you know the conversation he had before he raised Lazarus from the dead with Mary and Martha. And he, as he's having that conversation, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks her the $64 million question. Do you believe this? And what her response was, yes, Lord, you know, I believe this. And that is the question that every human being has to answer. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that his cross work was sufficient to pay your sin debt? Every person needs to come to that defining moment. And that defining moment is either accepting Christ or rejecting. There's no, there's no middle ground. Acceptance or rejection. Our hope, absolute certainty, is confirmed in us by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a great verse. 
Isn't that encouraging? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Absolute certainty defends us against Satan's attacks in 1 Thessalonians 5. Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan is powerless to attack you in such a way that you would lose your salvation. He's powerless. Absolute certainty is confirmed through trials in Romans 5. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Sounds a little bit about James, doesn't it? James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's a picture of Christ. Peter echoes that sentiment or, or Paul echoes that sentiment in Romans 5. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know. Now, folks, you know what a great study is? Is take your New Testament and underline every time the word know is used. Because the New Testament writers want us to know. We, the New Testament writers want us to know what it means to be saved. They want us to know what it means to be a child of God. They want us to know what it means to live a sanctified life that is pleasing to Christ. They want us to know that information. And so he says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. We know that, right? So when, th when those trials and those struggles and those challenges of life come along, we know what they're for because they produce perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Absolute certainty is confirmed through trials. It produces joy. Psalm 146.5, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. It's fulfilled in Christ's return. And folks, he's coming back. He is coming back. Titus 2.13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as Peter is talking about born again to a living hope in verse three, he talks about salvation. In verse five, he talks about sanctification who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times now as we consider this salvation totally a work of God glorification total work of God I got nothing I got nothing in that Sanctification, that's on me. Through the, power, through the Holy Spirit, of course. But sanctification, that progressive sanctification, the theological term, is that process of spiritual growth. 
that, that day by day, week by week, month by month, year by, mo- year by year, growth in the grace and knowledge of Christ that we might conform to the image of Christ. It's a journey that some of us have been on for a short time. Some of us have been on that journey for a long time. It's been 44 years for me. And folks, it never gets old, right? I mean, amen, it never gets old. I mean, a, a life that is committed to Christ and is committed to the sanctification, that process of growing and changing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, that never gets old. At least it shouldn't. If we're working the process, it won't. It'll always be exciting. So sanctification is my works through the Holy Spirit. At the moment of saving faith, God's power secures that faith all the days of our lives until glorification. It's secure. Our faith is secure. The issue is, are we growing in that faith? I mean, I can remember a time in my life where my faith was plateaued. All of you can raise your hand and say, yes, I can remember that. Where it just seemed like I was going nowhere. Did God leave me? Did he forsake me? Did he say, well, that Phil guy, what a loser. He needs to... He needs to get with it. He never did that. It was me. I was the problem. I needed, I did need to get with it. So not only does God's power secure our saving faith, it supplies our living faith. Did you know that? There's two different kinds of faith, folks. They're saving faith for salvation, which is permanent, and there's living faith. That faith that we live by every day. So the same omniscience, omnipotence, and sovereign power that chose us for salvation energizes our living faith. Because you know, God's got us all on a, on a faith journey, right? We're, we're, we're walking, walking the path of life. And again, there are a lot of people in this room. And our paths are all, you know, all over the place. And they, you know, Sundays they kind of intertwine. And other times, you know, we, we cross paths in and, and that. But, you know, God has put, understand that God has put you and I, wherever it is we are, whatever neighborhood we're living in, whatever job we have, what, wherever we're at, God has, has us there for a reason. And that reason is that through our faith walk, we might be that example, that light, that salt to those God brings across our path. And that, ladies and gentlemen, again, is very exciting. God has us on a faith journey. And the question is, are we really trusting in him to get us through the journey? I mean, do we really trust him in in everything? 
How, how many have a lot of things going on in their life? Anybody? Or, or is it just kind of nothing's going on? We all have lots going on. Right? There's lots going on in our life. And folks, Christ ought to be right in the middle of it all. I mean, we have, we, we have the stuff of life. Relationships. Right? I mean, some of them are wonderful, right? Some of them are less than wonderful. You know, some of them are ch- challenging. We have career. We have finances. Anybody ever been challenged by those? How about children? That's a piece of cake. How about our daily bread? Now, we're pretty fat, dumb, and happy in the U.S., Right. I'm guessing none of us missed a meal recently. You can tell I haven't. Well, there's many believers all around the world that won't have anything to eat today. Safety driving to work, safety on motorcycle rides. There's so much that goes on in our life that we've got to approach through the lens of Scripture and allow our faith in Christ to see us through every segment of everything that we do. And folks, that's a challenge because we're, we're wired to figure it out ourselves. And I wanna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna figure this out myself. When God wants us to surrender and say, you know what? Yeah you, yeah, you can probably figure it out and you may even make the right choice. But what I want you to do is trust me. And by faith, trust the process. Trust the process I'm leading you through. So just as saving faith is permanent, so is living faith. God, by his power, he promises to what? Never leave us or forsake us. He promises to do that. He won't leave. Even when our faith is weak, he's still there. He will never abandon us even when times seem tough. But as I said a moment ago, we must trust the process. That there is a process that God chooses chooses to take us through to grow us and change us and to conform us to the image, conform us to the image, conform us to the image of Christ. Because the more you and I reflect the image of Christ, the more the world is going to take notice. And it will create that question in their heart. What makes you different? And they'll ask us, why? What is the reason for the hope that you have? I mean, isn't it a great thing if you're in conversation with somebody and they'll say, what is with you? Why are you you this way? Don't you love that? Well, let me tell you. When, um, just before 
Cindy and I moved to Mount Zion in 92. I worked a construction job for a year. And I bought myself a fancy new tool belt. I had no idea what I was doing, but I wanted to look like all the other guys. Right? So I got myself a fancy new tool belt. And then there was nothing in it. I, I couldn't show up on the job site with a tool belt with nothing in it. So I figured, I'll buy a hammer. So I bought a hammer. Put that in my tool belt and showed up to the job site. And I was installing cedar siding. Guess what you have to do to cedar siding before you cut it? You have to measure, you know, there's thing, you know, measure twice, cut once. Well, you can't even cut once if you can't measure it. So I went home that day and I bought a, a tape measure and I, and I stuck that in my tool belt. And now, now I've got another tool to help me be more proficient at this job. I got myself a speed square. Stuck that in my tool. And I added a few things. Well, fast forward to the last few years, the elder in our church, uh, our good friend, uh, he is a contractor by trade, and I've worked for him, you know, periodically. He'll call and uh, ask for some help, and I'll go help him, and I'll, I'll get that tool belt and put it. It's not the same one. That one is dry rotted. And it's, anyway, and there's all kinds of stuff in there now. And, you know, I've, I've been at this for a while, you know, do it, your, do it yourself and whatnot, so I've got... You know, I'm still adding to that tool belt. I just added to it the other day. I got one of those little short levels, you know, those little small levels were really handy for doing smaller stuff. So I stuck that in my tool belt. So that's a dumb story. Well, you know, our, our Christian life is, is just like that. Is that God, as we, as we strive to, to trust the process of progressive sanctification, God gives us more tools for our spiritual tool bag. And as we become more proficient, you know, I didn't need that little, little level when I started before because I had no idea what it did. But I, I can use it now because I know what it's for. And that's the same way God works in our sanctification process. As we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, he continues to give us items and resources for our spiritual tool bag. Now that means that we're involved in the process. If we're going to sit in our little spiritual rocking chair and just rock away till Jesus comes, we're not going to get too many more new tools for our tool bag. But as we step forward in faith, God will give us whatever resources that we need, whatever tools that we need to accomplish his purpose in our life, he will give to us. Amen? Sanctification. Our, our salvation, sanctification, and then lastly, glorification in verse 4. And we're almost done. To obtain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you. Ladies and gentlemen, glorification, totally a work of God. When I die, you know, there's nothing, I have no, I, nothing, when I die, there's, I can't do anything to get to, to get to the next level, 
right? I mean, I can't, you know, I can't hail a cab, say, okay, I need to get to heaven now. Can you come and get me? Right, there's that God, that's a totally a God thing. And glorification, obviously, obviously, is the goal of salvation. Glorification is the reward of sanctification. Did you know that? Is that in glorification, we will be rewarded for what happened during the sanctification process of our life. That we build in to what happens in glorification. Notice in verse two, I think that's right, that our, no, no, in verse three, that our glorification, our glorification and our inheritance is tied directly to the resurrection. Meaning that because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, our inheritance is secure. And it, you know, if you're in, in Ephesians chapter one, you're gonna get to that. Where the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Guarantee, right? What, what, what better guarantee is there than the Holy Spirit? So as you think about internal, eternal inheritance, I mean, there's a lot of things that come to mind. Obviously, we think of life beyond, life beyond this. And, and folks, we, we can't even get our mind wrapped around what that even looks like, right? Because you and I live in the realm of time, right? Everything we do revolves around time, unless you live in Hawaii. Then time doesn't matter. You show up whenever you want, <laughs> That's pretty literal, actually. But we, right, we live in a realm of time. Every morning, the sun comes up, and every night, the sun goes down. And we live in that realm. Well, in the next realm, there is no time. None. There's no time. Is that processing? It's not processing for me, because I don't get it, right? Because I don't, I, don't, I don't live in that realm. I, don't, I mean, I, I understand, but I don't get it. Isn't that going to be extraordinary to live in that realm where it's, there's no time and it goes on and on and on and on and there's no end to paradise and glory? Our in, eternal inheritance, a place where righteousness is finally realized. Don't you long for that? I, mean, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of dealing with sin. I'm just tired of it. I mean, it's been a battle all my life. Been a battle all your life. And I'm getting weary in the battle. Is it easier? Well, maybe, but it still raises its ugly head all the time, every day. Right? Every day, you know, you gotta, you gotta make a choice. Am I gonna do this to please Christ, or am I going to do this to please me? And of course, the challenge is, is to please Christ and not me. But I like me. Right? And sometimes I make choices that are not pleasing to God, they're pleasing to me. 
I long for righteousness finally realized where there's no more. I don't have to deal with it anymore. Joy. And we all know what joy is, right? Right? We know what joy is. Just think of it when, I started to say every minute of every day, but there's not going to be any minutes or days. But all of our, all of our existence will be nothing but joy. And peace, peace, real peace forever and ever and ever and ever for those that are in Christ. Perfection. Our eternal inheritance means that you and I are going to be perfect. We're going to have perfect bodies. (laughs) What wonderful is that going to be? (laughs) I've been working on this one for a long time. I'm not making much headway. But we'll be perfect. We'll be perfect in holiness, perfect in righteousness, perfect in knowledge. Wow. We'll be continually in God's presence. We'll be continually in Christ's glorious companionship that we'll be dwelling with Christ forever and ever and ever and ever. And then we have to talk about rewards. It's going to be a place of rewards which are determined by what we do while we're here. Now that's some things that I thought up. So it's probably a pretty flawed list because I am sure beyond a shadow of a doubt, that when you and I get to heaven, it's going to be way better than anything you and I can imagine. Way better. I have no idea all what God has planned when we get to the other side, but it will be awesome. And I only use that word every so often because, ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing awesome but God. And... Wow, what is it going to look like? What God has planned for his heirs. Because that's what we are. We're heirs with Christ. So much different than any earthly inheritance. Right? Any earthly inheritance, I mean, you could be written out of a will with a stroke of a pen. Our inheritance that is eternal is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. I thought I had it in here. So Ephesians 1, and I love the process that, that Paul gives us in verses 13 through 14, where he says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of our glory. Praise of his glory. Because let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, our glorification is not for our glory, it is for his glory. And, and, and because of that, he is guaranteeing our inheritance until he comes and redeems us. And that can't happen any too soon for me. I'm ready. The indwelling Holy Spirit will see us to the other side 
where our inheritance awaits us. It's there with our name on it. And Peter says that it can never perish. Can never perish. It's incorruptible. It won't decay. Matthew 6.19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So during the sanctification process, we contribute to our inheritance. Make you think on the investment of your sanctification today, what that is going to look like when Jesus comes. Because what we do today is going to impact what happens when we stand before Christ. Not only can it uh, perish, but Peter says it can't spoil. It's undefiled, unpolluted, unstained by evil. Total contrast with an earthly inheritance, right? I mean, you think, I mean, imagine in your mind just for a second here what it would look like to have a, an earthly inheritance that would be, would just blow your mind. And it would all concern what? Usually what? Money, right? I'd like to inherit, you know, an island somewhere. <laughs> you know, inherit a whole stable of motorcycles. Anything that you can imagine of an earthly inheritance is all going away. It's all going away. But not our eternal inheritance, that's for sure. That's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. And then Peter says it can't fade. It's not going anywhere. Second Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. So we make it our goal to please him. Amen? We make it our goal to please him. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Verse 10, important. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Because you and I, we have our whole life, and there are things that we do. And in another place, Paul says that, you know, our life is made up of wood, hay, and straw, or precious stones. And it'll all be refined by fire, and all the stuff that represents the wood, hay, and straw will be burnt up, and the precious stones will remain. So, I mean, we do a lot of things. They might even be good things, but they don't have any eternal consequence or reward or value, and they'll be burnt up. And we, you know, there's a lot of things like that. But the things that we do for the cause of Christ will remain. And our eternal inheritance will include those things. That's exciting. 
And I realize it's hard, again, to get our mind wrapped around what that's going to look like. Because we, we're in the here and now. But one, a person once said, and I don't know who originally coined it, but it is key for us to think with eternity's values in view. Eternity's values in view. And that's an exercise of the mind that we must continually work at. Because it's so easy to get our minds off eternity's values and place them on earthly values. It's easy to do because we're doing life on earth. But my friends, let us strive to consider glorification and what's going to happen when that happens. So, part of our eternal inheritance includes what we invest in it. And again, I have no idea what that's going to look like, but it is going to be awesome. Since this is our living hope, the gospel of our salvation, let us, again, strive to keep eternity's values in view that we might that we might live in, in, in real time the living hope. Every day, get our head off a pillow, think with eternity's values in view. Think the gospel. It's not a hope in religious tradition, but hope in a risen, living Savior that we are co-heirs with and that is soon to return. Amen? Father God, thank you for this opportunity to open the word and to share. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in each of our hearts as we think about the three elements of eternal life. Salvation, so important, so key, the beginning. For sanctification, that process where we strive to conform to the image of your dear son. Lord, we know, we know for a fact that the choices that we make determine the person that we are. And Lord, we think of glorification, that time when we leave this earth, whether by the rapture of the church or whether by death, Lord, that when we step across the threshold from this realm to the next realm, that we would be blown away by your glory. Lord, we know that your glory is the goal. Lord, help us to strive for that. In Jesus' name, amen.